Hello, everybody, and welcome to Matt's Middle-Aged Mixed Martial Arts Show. Thanks for joining me here, listener. This is show number six. It's February 27th, a Wednesday. Let's get right into it here this week. Over the last weekend, we saw UFC Fight Night, Blakovich for Santos. This was UFC Fight Night 145 for those of you counting and keeping track. It was UFC on ESPN Plus number three in Prague in the Czech Republic of all places. Attendance was 16,583 with a total gate of $1.6 million. We're not going to spend a lot of time on this show because no one watched it and no one really cares. And we have other stuff to talk about this week in the world of MMA and, I guess, weird news stories that I find fascinating. (laughs) So we'll get to those a little later, but let's do uh, the MMA stuff here now. In the main event, Tiago Santos defeated Jan Blakovich by TKO at 39 seconds of the third round. This was a light heavyweight fight. Big win here for Santos. He's on a bit of a winning streak at light heavyweight. And with this win is in the mix for probably a title shot. Um, I, I think he needs at least one more win to really be deserving of it. But Blakovich is a, a top 10 light heavyweight. Santos, a former middleweight, has moved up to heavyweight and has looked pretty good uh right now since he's switched over to light heavyweight he's gone three and zero with wins over eric anders jimmy manua and now blakovich he hit him with a big left hand here in the third and knocked blakovich down and then finished him with hammer fists on the ground an impressive win. Santos was on his back foot when he threw the left, and it dropped Blakovich. And Blakovich is a, a tough guy. He's a real light heavyweight, a bigger dude, and off his back foot. I mean, Santos' power is enough that he can, if he lands the right shot, you're going to go down. It's just a fact at this point. The most amazing thing with Santos is at one point, I, I believe he fought as a welterweight and he's moved up to middleweight and then light heavyweight. So um, it's not like Anthony Johnson, Rumble Johnson kind of power, but he, he can hit hard, and he's got three knockouts now at 205 pounds. In a very thin division, where we're talking Anthony Smith getting a title shot against John Jones this weekend, Santos is in the mix. I mean, if Jones wants to stay active and the only fighters ranked ahead of Santos at light heavyweight now are going to be Daniel Cormier in theory, if he ever wants to fight at light heavyweight again, and Alexander Gustafson, those are the only guys, excluding Anthony Smith, obviously, because he's getting the title shot this weekend. But other than that, there's nobody ahead of Santos in the rankings right now at light heavyweight. He's ranked fourth in the world. So... If Jones wants to stay active, he wins over Anthony Smith, comes out uninjured. I wouldn't be surprised if Santos got a title shot in a few months, maybe, you know, three months or maybe the July show, depending on what Jones wants to do. John Jones says he wants to stay active. So Santos could be right place, right time. Obviously, he'd be a huge underdog against John Jones, but 
he's on a good little run in in a thin division. Three straight knockout wins can get you a title shot nowadays. In the semi-main event, Stefan Struve defeated Marcos Rogerio de Lima by submission. It was an arm triangle. Um, interesting fight in that Struve got knocked down almost immediately. Uh, looked like he was out and then was able to recover on the ground, got guard, uh, was able to control de Lima. Then in the second round, he kind of... Reversed a takedown attempt by DeLima. Got mount. Got the arm triangle. Got the win. After the fight, Struve announced that he was probably going to retire. And left his gloves in the ring. I, I don't know exactly what that means. But Struve's only 31. He's 6 feet 11. Um, historically, has always been the tallest guy in the UFC. I'm not sure if that holds true right now. Um... Alexander Volkov, who's really tall, too. There's a couple guys that are, um, you know, 6'8", six, 6'9", six, plus. But Struve is obviously amongst the two or three tallest guys in MMA. And he had lost three straight until this win. He gets a win here. If he retires, I'm okay with it. There's been a lot of knockout losses uh, over the years. The Mark Hunt, Overeem losses, even Travis Brown. Um, he's had a tough go of it and has, I, I think he had a heart issue. He was out for a couple years, um, uh, but still he's only 31 and he was a guy with so much potential back in the day being 6'11". If he could have worked that jab and some kicks, it, it looked like he could have been a, a champion chip contender, but it just never really happened for him. He could never put it together. Never really seemed to have that killer instinct and I'm okay with him walking away, but Typically, it's tough for guys to walk away, especially if they're only 31. And he didn't fully commit to the retirement. He said he's probably going to retire. So we'll see what happens with Struve. But if he does walk away, he does it with a win, um, which is always a good thing. Other than that, not a ton of name value on this card. Uh, Liz Karmush got a win. Um Peter Yan beat John Dodson. Good win for Peter Yan. He um, got a unanimous decision win, 30-27 on all three scorecards. John Dodson's haircut probably needs some attention. He looked kind of like George Washington out there with his hair blowing around. Um, But for Peter Yan, this moves him to 12-1, 4-0 in the UFC. Um, So he'll, he'll be in the mix at Bantamweight. Um, probably should get a top 10 guy after this. He's ranked number eight right now. Uh, what else? Any other names on this show? Not really. Michelle Prezeris lost. Unanimous decision. Um, he's the, the shortest welterweight in the world. 5'6", 170 pounds. So, uh, tough loss for him. He had gone undefeated in the UFC. I did not actually see that fight, but, um... He's one of those guys who nobody's ever heard of and has gone, you know, like 10 and 1 in the UFC. But uh, it sounds like he got pretty much dominated here in Prague. Uh, bonus awards went to Tiago Santos, Stefan Struve, Mikel Olekajic, and Dwight Grant, all winning performances of the night. Uh, there was also a Bellator show. This past weekend, it was on February 23rd in Dublin. 
James Gallagher defeated Stephen Graham in the main event with a rear naked choke at 231 of the first. Uh, there was a lot of SBG fighters on here who got wins. Charlie Ward um, stands out. I think he was one of the guys involved with Conor McGregor attacking the bus, uh, Khabib's bus back in Brooklyn. But um, not a lot of name value on that Bellator 217 card. And that was uh, basically your review of the fights this past weekend. Not a lot of newsworthy stuff and not something I, I think we need to spend a lot of time on this week. Uh, I missed it last week. I, George St. Pierre announced his retirement. I, I think it happened the day after we put out episode number five. Um, George St. Pierre, obviously the greatest welterweight fighter of all time. Uh, possibly... And in my opinion, the greatest fighter of all time. Um, Here's the thing. John Jones is obviously in the mix. But he's popped for performance-enhancing drugs on several occasions. And it depends on how you feel about that. Are you... You know, a fan of the Baseball Hall of Fame ruling out guys who got caught using steroids. Um, Should they be out of the Hall of Fame because of that? You know, it depends who you ask. Um, John Jones has the better record. He's never been submitted or defeated or had a submission loss, knockout loss in his career. George St. Pierre had two. He finished his career 26-2. and St. Pierre never popped for anything, though. Um always on the surface appeared clean. There were always rumors swirling around George St. Pierre and his career that he was doing something, um, some sort of steroid performance enhancing drug, but he never got caught. Um, He always pushed for USADA and cleaner sport and drug testing and wanted it for that Johnny Hendricks fight. Didn't work out. He wanted VADA. Um, he passed all his USADA tests before the Bisping fight where he won the middleweight championship. He's a champ champ. Um, so I, I kind of give the edge to St. Pierre. Um, he was super dominant during his run as welterweight champ. I, I think the loss with the first loss to Matt Hughes um, was early on in his career. You're talking 2004, 15 years ago. And the Matt Sarah loss felt like a fluke especially if you watch their second fight where George St. Pierre just massacred Matt Serra to regain the welterweight championship in Montreal just destroyed him um and just the wins over Koscheck and Fitch and BJ Penn and um Tiago Alves Nick Diaz um even the win over Hendricks it was controversial but he was always, always super competitive, professional guy. Um, his fights weren't always the most exciting because his wrestling was so good he could get takedowns and just, I want to say, play it safe. But he, he knew how to win fights. He knew how to retain that championship. He became a really big draw. He was off for four years, comes back, beats Michael Bisping and at Madison Square Garden, becomes champ champ, wins the middleweight championship. The guy was a beast. The guy was a beast. Um, 
at his press conference, he said he would be willing to come back and fight um, Khabib Nurmagomedov. He didn't mention at what weight, if it would have been for the um, lightweight championship of the world or if it would be a catchweight fight or maybe Khabib would move up to 170. That was never really discussed in the presser, but he, he went to UFC, said he wanted the Khabib fight. Khabib sounded like he was interested in it, uh, but the UFC was not. The The theory is uh, the UFC brass, Dana White, whoever, were upset that GSP essentially abdicated the, the middleweight championship after he won it and didn't fight Robert Whitaker. But GSP always claimed that was due to medical issues. He had the colitis. Um, he had to radically change his diet to get up to middleweight, put that muscle on, and he was having essentially stomach issues. Uh, and he could not defend the middleweight championship, so he gave it up. Um, but the vibe I got was this would be another one-off, and if GSP wins the lightweight championship, walks away again, what good does that do the UFC? But in this era where there's so many interim championships, guys moving up and down weight classes, champ champs, I didn't really buy that argument from the UFC. I mean, that might be their feeling and their belief, but at this point, the titles have been so bastardized, and you've got a pay-per-view coming up with two interim title fights on it when neither of them are really worthy for... Um, that designation, I don't know why you wouldn't try and book GSP first Khabib for that 155-pound championship when Khabib comes back from suspension. Yeah, I don't understand it based on the UFC's recent actions and matchmaking, but whatever. Uh, so GSP is retired. There's always a chance he could come out of retirement for the right fight. Khabib or Connor or Giant Payday. They might be able to coax him out of it. But the, Dana White has some sort of beef with GSP. Um, you can feel it. It's still there. And I, I don't think Dana White's going to come begging GSP back to fight, um, no matter how desperate they are. And GSP's going to want a, a long camp and plenty of time to train. And he's very particular about how he does things. Um, almost like OCD-like. So I don't see GSP ever fighting again. Granted, things change. Desperate times call for desperate measures, and if there's enough money on the table, he might do it. Um, but right now, I don't see it. There's still bitterness between Dana and him, and I don't see Dana asking GSP for a favor um, just out of spite, to be honest. But GSP retired for, for now. Um, probably the greatest fighter ever. I, I would have no problem with that. John Jones is the other guy. DJ is probably a distant third. Um, just incredible record. And those wins he had against those guys, he just dominated them. A lot of unanimous decision wins, some finishes. Um like, I just remember the John Fitch fight in particular. Fitch was on, like, a seven-fight win streak against Killers at Welterweight. GSP just took him down over and over again, and Fitch was, like, this incredible wrestler who took all his opponents down and beat him up, and he could do nothing with St. Pierre, literally nothing. Um, 
unbelievable fighter, GSP. There you go. Uh, good luck in your future endeavors. Uh, one of GSP's contemporaries and greatest adversaries, I would say, was Matt Hughes, a UFC Hall of Famer. Um, he's in a bit of hot water this week. If you remember back probably a year or two ago, he was in a really bad accident. He was driving a pickup truck and it got struck by a train. Um, and he was in the hospital for weeks in a coma, uh, had to relearn how to walk, uh, returned at a UFC show and kind of waved to the crowd and walked out. And it was this, you know, heartwarming moment from this, you know, Iowa farmer boy who managed to learn to walk again. The crowd goes crazy. Um, but in the background, prior to the accident, Matt Hughes was kind of always known for being a bit of a bully. Um, and you don't want to speak badly about somebody, but Hughes is known for being a jerk and just bullying people around and you know, getting drunk and getting in fights and um, just not my kind of guy. <laughs> it's the best way to describe it. Um, but this news broke yesterday or the day before, I think, uh, by TMZ. Um, TMZ obtained court documents uh, reporting that Hughes must stay 500 feet away from his wife, Audra, and their children in accordance with a restraining order that was filed on December 13th. The restraining order was filed after an alleged incident on December 12th in which Hughes is accused of striking his wife in front of their children and her stepfather after she accused Hughes of texting other women. Um, that incident was allegedly part of a larger pattern of aggressive behavior that also included a late 2017 episode where Hughes choked his wife in the shower when she refused to give him the keys to his truck. Um, she was refusing to give him the keys because he had just been in an uh, accident, had a brain injury, and wasn't supposed to be driving. Um, so uh, apparently... Hughes also threatened to shoot her on July 21st, 2018, after she took his phone, again in relation to Hughes allegedly talking to other women, and that Hughes's twin brother, Mark, has also filed a restraining order against Matt Hughes uh, for a September 23rd incident in which Hughes allegedly became physical with Mark's 15-year-old son in regards to a dispute between the brothers over ownership of a tractor. Uh, Mark is also accusing Hughes of dousing the tractor in gasoline and attempting to destroy it on September 30th. Uh, now Hughes and his wife are looking to get a divorce. So here's the thing. Hughes is an MMA fighter, but was an MMA fighter, I should say, and got punched in the head a lot. And, you know, that can cause mood issues, behavior issues, uh, whether it's CTE, concussions, whatever. Um, long term, you shouldn't be getting punched in the head. Uh, then you get in a bad train wreck and are in a coma for months. Some of this behavior 
could be put on that. But if you look at like Matt Hughes prior to this and in college and his history, he always was kind of a bully and violent and um, a moody person. And I don't know if that stems from childhood or where that comes from, but I, I don't think you can necessarily blame all this stuff on the train wreck. Um, it, it just seems to be part of his makeup. And I mean, I hope he can, you know, get it together because it's a sad story. You never want to hear about abuse like that, um, whether it's against women, men, whatever. Um, I'm a big fan of keeping your hands to yourself, uh, unless it's wanted physical contact. But Matt Hughes um, could probably use some help right now. Um, so uh, hopefully he can get back on the right track and hopefully his family, brother, wife, kids and stuff can uh, live happily from here on out. Um, and hopefully he follows the restraining order and doesn't get into trouble again and um, gets his life back in order. You know, that, that's all you can hope for in a situation like this. And um, not the most pleasant story, but it's a news story and he's a big name in the history of MMA. I think a lot of people would say probably the second best welterweight of all time behind George St. Pierre. Uh, in other news... Happier news, Mackenzie Dern is pregnant, uh, former jiu-jitsu world champion, current UFC fighter. Um, one of the first women fighters in UFC, I believe, to become pregnant. I, I know there's been a couple others. Um, I'm drawing blanks off the top of my head. I think Sarah McMahon may be pregnant currently. And um, God, Juliana Pena might have been pregnant. Um Kind of interesting because, you know, six years ago there were no women in the UFC and now uh, women fighting is common. You know, there's a couple women's fights on almost every UFC card and now some of these women are getting pregnant. It's weird because, I mean, literally you could go a few months in training and possibly not know you were pregnant. Um, kind of a scary thought, getting kicked and wrestling and punching while while pregnant but um it's weird because it, in a way you know these women like they they get a big win they become pregnant then they got to take all this time off men don't have to worry about that men can have 10 kids and keep fighting all the time um so it, it, it'll be interesting like I wonder how all that works in the UFC. Do you get maternity leave? Do you get paid while you're out and pregnant? How how, how does that work? But uh, Dern will be out. You, you got to think at least a year, um, you know, nine months pregnant and then time to heal up and then train probably more than a year. Um, it, it, it's a funny thing. Um, she's young. She I think she's only, I don't know how old Dern is, maybe 24 because um, she was like unbelievable at jujitsu at a young age, started training as a kid and was winning world ch world championships at like 21. So I'm guessing she's probably 24, 25. So, I mean, she's got plenty of time to come back and fight again. But um, just a funny situation. A fighter on the rise, has a couple wins in the UFC, has kind of built up a name and then uh, becomes pregnant and then has to take a bunch of time off from work. And I guess women obviously face that all the time in the real world and in jobs and 
uh, in the corporate world, whatever. But um, fighting's different because you can't train and really be pregnant at the same time. You're not working uh, on your striking defense while while pregnant. Uh, would obviously be very dangerous to your baby. Um, well, you can still work pregnant in an office job, that sort of thing. Um, MMA is a little different, and it's one of those things where, you know, spur of the moment you can get a title shot because somebody gets injured and you're out of the mix for a year and a half. So it will be interesting to see if she comes back and when she does and um, how she'll do. Maybe come back like Donald Cerrone, hungrier, um, wanting to win fights for your kid. Uh, time will tell. Time will tell with uh, Mackenzie Dern. Uh, congrats, by the way. Bundle of joy. Good luck. There are a handful. Let me tell you. UFC 234 numbers are in. Uh, that was the card headlined by Anderson Silva and Israel Adesanya. Um, the show where the Gastelum Whitaker fight got pulled at the last minute because Whitaker had to have emergency hernia surgery. Uh, did 175,000 buys. Not a god awful number, but not a great number either. It's probably about where I would guess. Um, Silva still has some drying power. I mean, low end, you're talking 80, 90,000 buys. Some of those Amanda Nunes. Demetrius Johnson headlining fights did like 90,000 to 80,000 buys, which is really rock bottom as low as it goes for the UFC. So they kind of sort of doubled those numbers, but still, I mean, it's not a hugely profitable show. Um, it shows Silva still has some drying power, obviously, after all these years and losses and not being what he once was. Um, so an okay number, not, nothing too disastrous, but um, nobody's going to retire off off those numbers either. Um, Silva's actually been booked in another fight against Jared Cannonier coming up, um, I believe, early this summer in Brazil. Um, just another example how Anderson Silva has, you know, lost some name value and isn't what he used to be at all as a draw or as a fighter. Um, fighting Jared Cannonier, a guy nobody's ever heard of, yet still a dangerous guy who could beat Silva, um, especially at this stage of the game. It's a bit sad. Um, you know, you see Stefan Struve retire at 31 and walk away with a win, and you're like, oh, that's a happy story. Then you got Anderson Silva here at 44, testing positive for steroids on multiple occasions, and now fighting a guy with very little recognition or name value in Jared Cannonier. While he's a good fighter uh, and is on the rise, it, it's just, you know, sort of depressing to see Silva at this point of his career you know, coming off a loss against Israel Adesanya, 175,000 buys, and now fighting, um, you know, fairly well down the card in Brazil against, you know, uh, barely ranked middleweight. So, um, you know, maybe he should have done the GSP thing and walked away <laughs> with a win when he had the chance. Uh, in other fight news, we have another interim title fight. This one at UFC 236. It's going to join 
another interim fight. So you're going to have two interim title fights at UFC 236. You've got uh, Kelvin Gastelum um, fighting Israel Adesanya for the interim middleweight title while Robert Whitaker recovers from his hernia surgery. We talked about that last week. And now this week they've announced Dustin Poirier versus Max Holloway for an interim lightweight championship. Uh, we talked a little earlier about Khabib being out until, you know, the fall due to his suspension in Ramadan. So they decided to go with Dustin Poirier versus Max Holloway. Holloway is the featherweight champion of the world has fought at 145 pounds his entire career. So he's going to move up 10 pounds to 155 and fight Poirier. Um, This is odd on so many levels. Khabib hasn't been out that long. Like, I I think they need some sort of guideline where it's like if a guy can't defend the title within a year, um, sure, do an interim championship. But Khabib can be back within a year of his last fight against Connor. Um, and it's sort of the same thing with Whitaker. Whitaker could be back within a year of his last defense, and they're doing an interim shot title fight. And the mindset is they need title fights on these pay-per-view cards. But if you keep doing that over and over, it lessens the value of these championships, and people just learn not to care about them. You've got Kobe Covington winning an interim title fight, which you would presume would mean he would get the next title shot at welterweight, and then it doesn't happen. Twice. You know, Tyron Woodley defends against Darren Till, and this weekend he's defending against Kamaru Usman. Meanwhile, Covington's not fighting at all, is this interim supposed interim champ, then get stripped because he couldn't take the fight when the UFC wanted him to. So what's the point of the interim title? It doesn't even mean you necessarily get the next title shot. (laughs) So, I mean, it's possible both of these interim title fights at UFC 236 end up with the interim champs not facing the real champ. And in this case, with Poirier and Holloway, You've got one guy in Holloway who's never fought at 155 fighting Poirier, who's not even the top contender. Tony Ferguson is the number one contender for the lightweight championship. Ferguson was offered this interim title fight. And follow me here. He turned it down. Did not want the interim title fight. And you know why he didn't want it? Because he already won an interim title fight and didn't get the real title fight. Like, it's a mess. This is a mess for anybody who's actually paying attention to it. Like, that was long-winded and probably sounded confusing as all hell. Imagine being a fan who watches the UFC and trying to follow this and make sense of it. It doesn't make sense. It reeks of desperateness. And if you step away and take, you know, worldwide view or look at it from the, from an airplane or whatever, you can see it's like they just, there, there was some sort of memo 
that went through the UFC offices, Zufra offices, WME, IMG, Endeavor, wherever these offices are, that says, we got to have title fights on pay-per-view. So they just make up these bullshit interim title fights that end up meaning nothing. It happened to Kobe Covington. It happened to Tony Ferguson. Ferguson learned his lesson and didn't take this interim title fight. He wants to wait for Khabib. The problem with waiting for Khabib is UFC might decide to give the winner of Poirier Holloway Khabib next. Then Ferguson's still sitting on the sidelines. The guys won 13 straight fights in the UFC against the best 155-pound fighters in the world. Ferguson deserves that title shot more than probably any fighter ever. He even won an interim title. And he's still on the sidelines. Now you've got Holloway moving up when he's got guys he can defend against at 145. And Poirier threatening to quit, then getting this interim title fight. And stating on the record that he hasn't even been guaranteed a title fight after this if he wins the interim title. So what's the point? The point is to get a a few more buys on this next pay-per-view. Long-term... This will hurt the UFC and their championships and their ability to be draws going forward. Eventually, it's going to catch up to them uh, because people realize the titles are, are kind of meaningless. You've, see, you've seen it in pro wrestling over the years. World title championships, heavyweight championships always meant something. But when you keep having these, I don't want to say fake titles, but fake titles... It doesn't mean as much. You can do it once in a while, and sometimes it's warranted. Um, you know, when Dominic Cruz was out for three and a half, four years with injuries, it's like, okay, let's do an interim fight. You know, get Henan Barrow and Uriah Faber in there. They're two top guys at 135. we got to move the division along. There needs to be a champion. It's been years. And they did that years ago, and... Nobody really had an issue with it. At that point, it made sense. But this is crazy. You've got a pay-per-view headlined by two interim fights. It's unreal. It's it's unreal. And over time, it's going to be bad for business. Um, Granted, they've got these TV deals and whatnot, and it's like they'll they'll be fine. They're going to survive. They've got boatloads of money because they're on TV and ESPN's paying them a lot of money. They're not going to go out of business, but make the titles mean something. You know, they, they should be special. You don't need a title fight every show. Some of their biggest pay-per-views, most successful shows were headlined by non-title fights. I mean, Connor and Nate are two of their best drying shows ever i think two of their top three or four shows ever non-title fights it's okay you don't have to have a title fight on every show because in the long run again the titles will be meaningless when you do this time and time again on a positive note holloway versus poirier is an awesome fight (laughs) it's a great fight it should be an action fight it should be exciting as all hell um it's actually a rematch of um, a previous fight they had, I think, in 2012. Um, 
And I, I think it was, if memory serves me, Poirier's debut in the UFC. I, not Poirier, I'm sorry. Holloway's debut in the UFC. And Poirier won the fight. So um, I guess it's seven years in the making, but it doesn't make a lot of sense. If anybody should be fighting for an interim title, it's Ferguson. And they don't even need to be doing an interim fight because we know Khabib's going to come back in a few months. It's not like he's injured. He's just suspended. Um so, yeah, another interim fight that doesn't make a lot of sense. Uh, what else is going on? Oh, <laughs> speaking of Khabib, um, he made some news this past week because, um, kind of find the story here. Um, he made some comment. Let me see if I can find this here. Lost it. Um, there was a, a documentary producer who was threatened um, after Khabib criticized his staging of a play in Dagestan is the headline. Um, UFC champion calls the play filth and threatened to take action if the Dagestani government does not hold people responsible for the direct insult. Um, he posted a picture on his Instagram account of a woman in lingerie seducing a man on stage during a play. The UFC, the UFC champ criticized the play as filth and demanded to know why it was being shown in Dagestan. Nurmagomedov's comments stoked outrage within his native republic and eventually led to the play's producer being threatened on social media. The play, titled Hunting for Men, is billed as an action comedy about a woman in search of new pleasures after her husband begins to lose interest in her. While none of the scenes featured nudity, one of the main characters does appear in lingerie during a portion of the play. This is enough for Nurmagomedov to label the display as pornography and demand an investigation into all those involved with the play. Khabib wrote, why is the leadership in Dagestan keeping quiet? Where are the deputies of the People's Assembly? Where are the heads of the regions? Where are the deputy minister and ministers themselves? What, you are all keeping quiet? They called this performance hunting for men. It is a direct insult to us. Be men, at least someone speak out. So Khabib doesn't like the fact that they had a play in Dagestan where a woman wore lingerie. I'm not a religious guy. I don't know much about Islam. Um, I know it's a much different culture than ours. But jeez. Um, I think a guy who cage fights in Las Vegas for a living. Um, yeah, I don't know. A little more open-minded. But I, I know it's a religion thing. I get that. But God... Um, the guy who put this play together is getting death threats. <laughs> like, Khabib's got 13 million followers on Instagram. Um, and now the producer of the play has had to issue an apology uh, because of the play. He wrote, On behalf of the creative group of the project, I apologize for any unintended offense to people in Dagestan performance was in no way intended to show indecency. It's a classic Italian play which has been performed around the world for many years. The bed scene is part of the performance. We do not suspect that it could cause such resonance. Um, my direct messages are littered with threats. I understand that this is the answer to our intended offense, but still, 
Different people have their traditions and foundations, and we respect that, but we did not take into account that everything was so strict. They invited us, and we came with pleasure. What happened, I think, makes one think about censorship of many who want to organize a concert or performance in Dagestan. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm a fan of freedom of speech. If you want to go see a woman in a play with lingerie, she's happy to play the role. I, I don't see an issue with it, but different strokes for different folks. I, I, I like freedom of the press and freedom of speech, but that's just me. Not everyone does. Uh, the PFL Professional Fighters League has signed a multi-year deal with ESPN. Uh, they announced on Monday that it's going to air shows on ESPN2, ESPN+, Plus, and ESPN Deportes. The announcement was made on ESPN's Ariel Helwani's MMA show. This will be an exclusive deal with ESPN. 2019 PFL season will be composed of 10 events airing across the aforementioned platforms. Monday's release laid out the schedule for what will be the league's second season. Uh, from May to August, six PFL regular season events will air on Thursdays. The PFL playoffs will then take place in October over the course of three events. This is interesting because, obviously, UFC and ESPN have a partnership. I'm shocked that UFC, when they signed up with ESPN, did not have like sole exclusivity for MMA on those stations. Um, clearly they didn't. I can't imagine ESPN didn't get UFC to sign off on this in some regard. Um, I immediately wonder if Ali Abdelaziz, obviously Khabib's manager, uh, who has a checkered past to say the least, um, wasn't involved in some way. He was an executive with PFL back in the day when it was World Series of Fighting. He was their matchmaker. Um, got into trouble because you're not supposed to be the matchmaker and an MMA manager, which makes sense. Um, but I, th I think he's still involved in PFL in some ways. He had a lot of fighters in those main events of the last PFL show. Um, just kind of bizarre. I feel like there's something else going on here, which I don't know. I, I haven't heard much. Just my hunch is um, there's got to be some money <laughs> involved here going back and forth. I don't know if it's between UFC and ESPN and PFL or how all that would happen, but I don't know how the PFL gets on ESPN with the UFC already on there. UFC has to sign off on it in some regard, and there's got to be some back channels going on here where, you know, the third biggest, maybe fourth biggest. Actually, you know what? It would go UFC, Bellator, maybe one now. Ryzen, then PFL. I don't even know how you would rank all the MMA companies in the world, but... PFL is definitely not in the top two. So when the UFC dominates 95% of the marketplace, how does PFL get on there um, without some sort of connections or UFC signing off on it? Why would UFC sign off on 
one of their competitors being on the same channel. It, it just feels odd, like there's something else going on there. But again, that's all just conjecture on my part. I don't actually ever know what I'm talking about. Coming up this weekend, I do know on March 2nd, Saturday night, we have UFC 235. This is Jones versus Smith at the T-Mobile Arena in Las Vegas, Nevada. <sighs> Pretty good show, actually. Uh, Jones is making a quick turnaround. I think it's only been like two and a half months since his last fight. When did Jones last fight? He's coming off that big win over Alexander Gustafson on December 29th. So yeah, two months almost to the day. Um, John Jones is back. That is a quick turnaround for any fighter, really. Usually they like to take a month off and then at least do a two-month training camp, sometimes a 12-week training camp. So um, usually guys fight three times a year. If Jones kept up at this pace, it'd be six times in the calendar year. He says he wants to stay active. Um, that's, again, where Tiago Santos could come in if Jones wins this fight. But um, this, on paper, looks like one of the biggest mismatches in UFC title fight history. Jones is obviously essentially unbeatable. Um, he's maybe lost a couple rounds in his career to Gustafson and DC, but otherwise has been pretty much unbeatable. A lot of unanimous decision wins, a lot of finishes. He's beat all the best guys in the world for the last decade. Um, him and GSB are the two best fighters ever. And this weekend he takes a guy on an Anthony Smith who just recently moved up to light heavyweight back in 2018. He had three wins over Rashad Evans, Shogun Hua, and Volkan Uzdemir. And they were all impressive wins, but you got to think Rashad Evans and Shogun are very long in the tooth at this point. I mean, Rashad's retired. And Uzdemir, who looked really good, we don't know how great he really is. Um, he hasn't beat a ton of guys. He doesn't have a huge resume. Um, but in a very thin, light heavyweight division, you, you get three straight finishes, you can get a title shot nowadays, especially with Jones wanting to be active. Um, but geez, I mean, Anthony Smith was, I don't want to say a washout at middleweight. He was four and two at middleweight. He had a loss to Tiago Santos where he lost by TKO and then moved up to light heavyweight, won three in a row and has a title shot. Um, overall he's 31 and 13 back in 2013. He has lost to Josh near who fought at welterweight I think near might have even fought at lightweight uh at certain points in his career so let's see did you ever 157 yeah near fought several fights at 155 so I mean near was a good fighter but never an elite elite UFC level championship level guy um you gotta wonder is this just a complete mismatch. Um, and on paper, it is. I, I, I don't see how Anthony Smith wins this fight. Jones should be better everywhere. And anytime you say that, you know, the underdog lands a lucky punch and wins the fight. But I can't imagine. I can't imagine how Anthony Smith wins this fight. Jones is so good. 
He's still in his prime. And you saw what he did to Gustafson. Just finished him, smoked him, destroyed the man. Anthony Smith, a guy at middleweight who wasn't super impressive and has just beaten kind of older guys or guys who just don't know how good they are. I don't see it. I think Jones has a size advantage. I think he's better on the ground. I think he's got better striking, better wrestling. And Jones is battle-tested against the elite of the elite. He's beaten everybody. Anthony Smith hasn't done that. And he's got 13 more losses on his record as well. So I'm picking Jones here. I I don't think this is going to be pretty. Um, I think it's going to be ugly, and I, I, I think it's going to end in the second round. John Jones wins by submission. That is my prediction. Uh, in the co-main event, we've got Tyron Woodley defending against Kamaro Usman. He's defending the welterweight championship here. Usman is a deserving guy. Um, Covington was the interim champ. He wasn't ready to fight uh, in March, so I guess Usman got picked over him. Um, it's a weird situation. Covington deserved that shot and didn't get it. Uh, and now he's just sitting on the sidelines. Usman's coming off wins against Emil Weber Meek, Damian Maya, and Rafael Dos Anjos. All unanimous decision wins, and he, he looked pretty dominant in all those fights. He's got good wrestling, good takedowns. Um, if he gets you against the cage, guys have trouble getting away. Um, but again, the record's not super impressive. He's 14-1 overall, but it's a lot of decision wins, especially in the UFC. He just uses that wrestling and grappling to dominate position. Um, I don't think he can do that against Woodley, though. I think Woodley's too big, too strong, can throw him aside. And I think Woodley's striking's better than Usman's. Like, I, I favor Woodley in this fight. Um, and I kind of hope Woodley wins the fight so we can get the Covington fight. That That's the fight I, I think people would like to see. I find it more entertaining. Um, but we'll, we'll see what happens. My, my official pick is Tyron Woodley by TKO. We're going to put Woodley by TKO. I think his striking is that much better than Usman's. Uh, also, again, this is a pretty stacked card. You've got two title fights, legit title fights, real champions, not interim champions. And then you've also got, at welterweight, Robbie Lawler versus Ben Askren. Askren making his UFC debut after being a 1FC and Bellator champion. Great collegiate wrestler, Olympic-level wrestler, um, great on the ground, weak striking for sure. Um, against Robbie Lawler, who's a, clearly a grizzled veteran at this point, um, still ranked number six as a welterweight. Uh, Lawler is coming off a loss to RDA by unanimous decision back in 2017, December of 17. So Lawler hasn't fought in over a year. He is now, let's see how old Robbie Lawler is. He's now 36. Definitely more shop-worn than uh, Ben Askren, who often doesn't even get hit in fights because his wrestling is so good. Obviously, the question here is, 
can Askren get Lawler to the mat? If he can get Lawler to the mat, he wins the fight. If he can't get a takedown, he's going to get lit up on the feet. Lit up. Like, Lawler's a good striker. Ben Askren is not. So, has Askren been training hard the last couple years? And is wrestling sharp? And he can get some takedowns and, you know, kind of work from guard and half guard and um, maybe take the back, that sort of thing, against Lawler here? I don't know. Lawler's got good takedown defense. You remember those Hendricks fights, those Johnny Hendricks fights. Hendricks didn't get a lot of takedowns. Most of those fights were done standing. Um, It'll be interesting. And I'm curious to see how Askren looks. He hasn't fought since 2017 either. Both guys have been off over a year. Those are long layoffs for both of them. And the guys Askren were fighting in one weren't top-level guys. Um... You know, his last win's against Shinya Aoki, um, where he won by TKO in 57 seconds, and it was at 185 pounds. Aoki, you know, fights at 155 normally, maybe even 145 if he was in the UFC. Um, I'm looking forward to it because it's kind of mysterious. You don't know how Askren's going to look. Um, after a layoff, and he's good at talking trash. Um, he gets a win here, maybe one more win against a top contender. He he could be in line for a welterweight shot, um, although I don't think he and Woodley will fight. They've been training partners, um, so you probably need a title change. Askren versus Covington would be fun. Um, but again, we can't get ahead of ourselves because Lawler could drop him. Lawler could easily drop Ben Askren here. Um, Askren seems super confident. Lawler's a little older, a little more shopworn. I am officially picking Ben Askren by unanimous decision in this one. He's going to use the wrestling and get a lot of takedowns and pull it out that way. Also on UFC 235, we have Tisha Torres versus Weili Zhang. Um, I believe she's making her UFC debut. And the opener on the main card... Another fun fight is Cody Garbrandt versus Pedro Munoz. Garbrandt, the former bantamweight champion of the world, coming off two straight losses to TJ Dillashaw. Only 26 years old, if you can believe that. Um, Looked like a killer early on in his UFC run. Then those Dillashaw losses hurt. Um, He's fighting a guy in Pedro Munoz, who you may never have heard of, but is currently ranked number nine as a bantamweight and has won two in a row against Britt Johns and Brian Carraway, who's a real fighter. He's also got a win over Rob Font. Um, Pedro Munoz is a good fighter, 17-3. and three. Um, A good test for Carraway here. I'm not, I'm sorry, a good test for Cody Garbrandt here. Um, I like Garbrandt. Yeah, I think he's going to be able to kind of, not light Munoz up on the feet, but Garbrandt's a great striker. If he can keep it standing, he he, he should win this one. Uh, on the prelim card on ESPN, in the main event of the prelims, we've got Jeremy Stevens for Sabit Magomed Sharapov, old ZM Punk. This is a fun fight. It's a step up for Magomed Sharapov, who's 
you know, a much heralded fighter from uh, Dagestan, a place where they don't like plays with women um, getting undressed. He is undefeated in the UFC 4-0. He uh, last won a fight against Brandon Davis with a modified knee bar back in September of 18. Jeremy Stevens is a real fighter at featherweight. Um, He's been in the UFC for, it's got to be a decade now. Let's see, how long has he been in the UFC? Jeremy Stevens, I'm pretty good. Jeremy Stevens made his UFC debut in 2007. So it's really been 12 years since he's been in the UFC, which is crazy. Debuted against Dean Thomas at UFC 71. He's going to be one of the longest tenured UFC fighters at this point. Have to look that up. He's got to be in the top five, you would think. Obviously, Silva. I'd have to think about it. I'd have to go back and look. He's been in the UFC longer than Jones. Um, either way, um, I mean, Diego. Diego's obviously been there longer. Clay Guida, maybe. I'd have to go back and look. Either Joe Lozon. It's a weird, weird game I'm playing in my head. But, um, Anyway, he's a veteran, still competitive against top guys. He's coming off that loss against a Jose Aldo um, back in Canada back in July. But prior to that, he had three straight wins, Gilbert Melendez, Duho Choi, and uh, Josh Emmett. So he, this is a good test for, for both guys. Um, I like Zabit. I think he's the younger guy. I think he's quicker on the feet. I think his ground game is going to be a problem uh, for almost every guy in the UFC at featherweight. He's just one of those nasty, Dagestani, mean um, fighters. He, he throws a lot of diverse strikes, spinning back fists. Um, he's just a unique, troublesome fighter for a lot of guys. Um, so yeah, I'm going to go with, uh, Zabit here, also known as ZM Punk. We also got Johnny Walker back on short notice, uh, rising star at light heavyweight against a real guy in Misha Surkinov. We'll see if Johnny Walker's for real. Also Cody Stamen versus Alejandro Perez on the prelims and Diego Sanchez versus Mickey Gall. The Nightmare, Diego Sanchez versus Mickey Gall. I like Gall in this one. I think he's the younger fighter, and I think Diego's shot. Um, on Fight Pass, not a lot of name value there. Pollyanna Viana is fighting on the opener. She is the Brazilian woman who beat up the mugger who was going to rob her, attack her, beat the crap out of him. Um, so that is your UFC 235 preview again. Official picks are John Jones, Tyron Woodley, Ben Askren, Tisha Torres, and Cody Garbrandt. Uh, we're going to take a break right now on Matt's middle-aged mixed martial arts show, and we're going to come back with some other news stories not MMA-related. Hang tight. And we're back. So each week... I have other interests, I'll be honest. It's not just all MMA. I'm into, I don't know, other things. <laughs> uh, so I figure each week I'll just go over some news stories that caught my eye. I found interesting. You may or may not. 
have the same interests as me. But these are the things that caught my eye in the last week. Uh, one was this new story that came out in Massachusetts. Um, the headline reads, Legislators Support Bill to Ban Tackling in Youth Football. Uh, it aims to protect young players from concussions. Um, students wouldn't be allowed to play tackle football until 8th grade under a new bill filed by lawmakers in an attempt to protect young brains from the damages of concussions. The bill, titled an act for no organized head impacts to school children, is supported by both Democrats and Republicans on Beacon Hill and was filed last month. The legislation has yet to be assigned to committee for review. Um, soccer has age restrictions for head contact. Lacrosse has age restrictions. Hockey has age restrictions for head contact. Football doesn't. We other otherwise wouldn't want to get involved in youth sports, but it turns out football doesn't have a national federation like those other sports. Um, it's a weird one because... It feels a little big brother um, telling people, you know, they can't do this, they can't do that. Um, I'm a fan of live and let live. Um, you know, if you choose to do something and it doesn't hurt others, by all means. Like MMA, for example. Um, if two men or two women want to get in a cage and fist fight, and earn money that way, that's their decision. They should be allowed to do that. Should the government say they can't? No. To me, the difference here is the fact that children are involved. And we know that there can be serious damage from banging your head into things. Concussions sub-concussive blows, that sort of thing. It can cause CTE, depression, outbursts, all sorts of stuff. Um, it can be bad. It can be bad for you. Like, I, I wholly admit that. Um, and it can be probably worse for kids whose brains are still developing. You know, you hear all this stuff about you know, the prefrontal cortex lobe, it's not fully developed till you're 25, um, you know, drugs and can cause adverse effects to the developing brain, marijuana, whatever. Um, I don't know all the science. I'm not a doctor. But to me, if you can protect kids' brains from getting banged around more than they already do, um, I'm okay with it. I, I don't think... You know, little kids need to be banging their heads into each other uh, more than they already do. Um, you know, the argument against this would be, um, you know, I don't want other people deciding what my kids can do. Well, there's a lot of things kids can't do um, legally. They're not supposed to drink till they're 21. Um you're not supposed to smoke, I don't even know, 18 probably? I don't even know what the law is for smoking cigarettes. Um, we try and put some guidelines in place to protect kids. Um, and this is one of those where I'm okay with it. Let's protect kids' brains if we can. Um, so we'll, we'll see. We'll see what happens. By the way, I wouldn't let my kid play football anyway. Um, I mean, I, I suppose... Other parents can make that decision too, but um, 
we say no tackling, I, I don't see what harm that causes as a society. If we say, you know what, we don't want little kids banging their heads into each other and tackling the crap out of each other and slamming themselves on the ground at a young age. I don't know. Maybe it's, you know, wussifying, pussifying, whatever term you want to use, um, society, but I, I don't think that's the case. It's just, you know, I, I think we should keep kids safe. I don't know. Uh, maybe I'm a wuss. <laughs> Uh, and this is on a show about MMA and cage fighting. Go figure. Uh, good news for people who like beer and cereal. Uh, apparently, there is a Lucky Charms beer now. The cereal with the the marshmallows and the little leprechaun on the bottle. Um, seems to be promoting beer to kids to me on the surface, but um, Smart Mouth Brewing Company brewed up a new IPA using marshmallows just like those colorful dehydrated chunks of sweetness you pick out of the Lucky Charms box. It's called Saturday Morning because that's what Saturday mornings used to be for. Rushing downstairs at an ungodly early hour early to pour yourself the first of six bowls of sugary cereal uh, and watching bad cartoons. To achieve the beer's flavor, Smart Mouth said it added toasted marshmallows and cereal marshmallows to its mash. It teased a photo of Saturday morning in an Instagram post, and it literally has um, the Lucky Charms marshmallows on it. It doesn't mention Lucky Charms on it. It's just called Saturday morning, but it's got the same colors. Like You see this, and you would think Lucky Charms was involved with this, even though... Um, I don't believe that they are. It's called IPA with marshmallows. Um, the only way you can get this, though, is if you go to Norfolk, Virginia. Um, the beer's released on March 2nd, just a couple days. It'll be available on draft at the brewery's true locations. Um, as a beer drinker myself, this does not sound very good. It, sound, it has to be sweet, right? And then you're mixing it with like the hoppiness of an IPA where ugh, I would try it, but I can't imagine I would like it. I mean, I'll try almost any beer or food because um, you don't know if you like it until you try it. That's what I what I tell my kids. Like, just try it. You might like it. Usually they don't, but sometimes they do. Um, but yeah, that just caught my eye. Lucky Charms beer. It does not sound magically delicious does not uh in other news r kelly's in jail which is good he seems like a uh, real piece of work i watched that documentary on lifetime and was um quite disturbed r kelly uh seems like he has real issues he makes harvey weinstein look uh like a good guy but the story that caught my eye it's like great i'm glad he's in jail throw him away lock the key lock the key away put him away forever he seems like an, a total um psychopath like horrible person what he's done to women and children <laughs> essentially um if everything you hear is true he is a monster uh but some people are still fans of r kelly there have been multiple gofundme accounts 
put together to help him get bail. Apparently, he doesn't have the $100,000 he needs to get out of jail right now. And several people have made GoFundMe accounts for R. Kelly. These people have issues as well. Like, after all the evidence, like, there's tapes of R. Kelly out there that exist. How can you still support this guy? Like, first of all, his music isn't that great. And on top of it, he's a pedophile. Like, horrible, horrible human being. And I I don't care what the excuses are, like... He had a messed up childhood, whatever. He's messing up other people's childhoods and their kids' kids. It's like, this guy's a monster. He's ruined lives. Don't support him with a GoFundMe page to get him out of jail. What is wrong with you people? Seriously. The one part that made me happy was that GoFundMe actually shut down the accounts attempting to raise money for R. Kelly. So good for GoFundMe. Um, GoFundMe confirmed it has shut down several campaigns launched by Kelly's fans. They were hoping, hoping to help fund his legal defense against multiple allegations of having sex with minors. R. Kelly denies all the allegations. These campaigns violate GoFundMe's terms of service and they've been removed from the platform, said spokeswoman Jenny Perillo. I can confirm that our terms of service prohibit raising money on GoFundMe for the legal defense of a violent crime. Um, Kelly, once one of the world's top recording artists, was charged Friday in an Illinois court with 10 counts of aggravated criminal sexual abuse relating to alleged sex with minors. The R&B artist denies these charges. Um, and granted, I'm all for, you know, a a fair trial. He should have his day in court. But God, does anybody look more guilty than him? There's video evidence of him doing stuff with minors. It's like, come on. Or don't give him money. Just let him stay in jail and have his day in court. And if he's found not guilty, he's found not guilty by a jury of his peers. Like that's the American system. That's the way it works. That's how it should work. Everybody deserves their day in court. But let's not help him out before then. It's like, let's let him figure this out. Um, good on GoFundMe. I, I'm, I support their decision not to support R. Kelly's fans fundraising efforts for him he does not seem like a good person speaking of terrible people uh i watched a documentary last week while i was riding the stationary exercise bike in my bedroom it's called abducted in plain sight on netflix do i recommend this documentary to people it depends on the person you have to be in the mood for something really disturbing and messed up and at times amusing at the people's stupidity involved in this. It's about a young girl who is essentially abducted by her neighbor, uh, who is friends with the family, friends with the parents. Um, and the thing just spirals out of control from there. The parents, I don't know if they're naive, total fools, um, incompetent, 
I, I don't even know how to describe it, but basically, I don't want to give too much over it away if you haven't seen it, but there's so many WTF moments in this documentary where you're like, oh, I can't get any weirder than that. Uh, it just gets weirder and weirder and more messed up as the show progresses. And at the end of it, you don't even know what to make of it because everyone involved has serious mental issues. Uh, sometimes, like, on the surface, these people seem relatively normal. And then at other times, you're like, you've got to be shitting me. You've got to be shitting me. Like, how could you allow that to happen? Um, or how could you do that? Or do that for months on end? Um, and again, I, I'm trying not to give spoilers here in case you haven't seen it or in case you're actually still listening to this show at this point, my one listener. Um, but if you're in the mood for, for something weird and a, a program where you're going to say, what the hell, over and over again, it's a good watch. But at the same time, it's kind of sad and pathetic and depressing too. Um, so there you go. Uh, that's what I watched this past week. I'm trying to think if there's anything else going on in the world. I, I, I don't believe there is. We, we're actually running long this week. We're well over an hour, so I, I'm going to cut it there. I appreciate you listening very much. Um, our listenership keeps going up by one or two people a week. At this rate, I'll, I'll have, geez, hundreds of listeners in a year or two. That'll be, that'll be fun. Uh, so I, I appreciate you hanging in there, listening. You can check the show out on Anchor. It's also available on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify. It's pretty much anywhere you listen to podcasts. Again, it's Matt's Middle-Aged Mixed Martial Arts Show, also called the MMA MMA Show. Um, there's also an Instagram account. MMA MMA show and a Twitter MMA MMA show one. Uh, thank you for listening. We will be back next week. This week went pretty good. There were no interruptions. The kids are back to school. They're healthy. Um, I actually had some time to put some stuff together this week and do a more proper show. Hopefully it seemed more put together than the last couple. And I appreciate your time, and we will talk again soon. Thank you very, very much for listening. Bye-bye.